Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. I'm back with the rap and I've got a special feature. There's a new place for you to go to store your data on Bitcoin thanks to Casey Rotomore. He's our guest and we'll just break down the topic. Is it good or bad? Will fees be rad? Can you even stop it? Do inscriptions conflict with the mission or the vision or are ordinals additive to the overall system? You decide while I ride on this crazy Game Boy beat. I deign to speak and let the words drip and creep. There's a dispute to inspect, some loot to collect. Who knew about this new use of tap root to detect? Apparently no one and some want you to have no fun. They say you're lying and tricking the code they're shoguns but hold on we're flying close to the flames and we'll unpack it all today on galaxy brains as always i'm your host alex thorne head of firmwide research of galaxy digital thank you for listening we have a great show today casey rotamore host of sf bit devs bitcoin developer and creator of ordinals a new way to do nfts and store data on bitcoin that has the community buzzing he is our guest um, and we'll also check in with our friend Bimnet Abibi, as always, about markets and macro. Big day today, Fed with their rate decision. We'll get into it. But before we begin, I need to tell you to please refer to the link to the po- uh, disclaimer on the podcast notes and note that none of the information contained in this podcast represents an investment advice, recommendation, offer, or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Galaxy Brains, we're ready to go. Let's hop right into it. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet BB from Galaxy Digital Trading. As always, my friend, good to see you. Thank you for having me. Big day today. Absolutely. Uh, Wednesday, February 1st. Mm-hmm. It's not January anymore. Wow, month two. New monthly candle started. The Federal Reserve, FOMC, uh, I guess was the meeting today. The, certainly they, they put out their decision on rates today. What yes, happened? the FOMC decision came out today. The Fed hiked rates by 25 basis points. Um, they guided that they are likely to do uh, more hikes in the, in the future. Um, Powell had a press conference as well after the uh, statement was released. Um, I think the I think the press conference was fairly dovish, um, and the market is interpreting it as as dovish. Um, essentially, you know, he had to acknowledge the fact that the inflation data had has started to turn. Um, there are constructive developments in the labor market. They had uh, employment cost index that came out yesterday that that was a little softer. Um, and so that there's a lot of things that are suggesting that. You're gonna. You have sort of a Goldilocks situation where you have prices coming down and employment not ticking up that high. Unemployment. Uh, unemployment right. ticking up that high. And so, um, basically, the market and the Fed kind of makes make it seem like Goldilocks is in, like, really within reach. It's in, it's in reach. The the soft landing. Soft landing. You know, however Goldilocks, you want to think about uh, it. Yeah. Prime. Um. And and then you couple that with. An insane level of like underpositioning in risk assets. Uh, we're talking. I mean, I was telling guys this on the floor, but you know, you're talking about trillions of dollars that are defensively positioned. That all of a sudden, the world's most important central bank and the most important central banker basically gave you a green light to buy risk assets today. And does he think that? He knows it. He knows it. He knows it. Yeah. He's too. They're too smart. They watch the price action. They know. He basically, when he walked into the press conference today. He had a decision to make. Do I get so aggressive enough where I need, like, I, I, I try to take stocks down? Yeah, like mean talk following mm-hmm. a soft raise. But he got asked a question about uh, stocks. Literally, was the first they question were asked at the moment. Not a, it wasn't. It wasn't that. It was like, okay. uh, like I don't I forgot the exact specifics, but it was basically like financial conditions are easing, 
that's counterproductive to your goal of slowing down inflation. How are you thinking about them? And basically, he gave like a nonchalant answer that, you know, monetary policy works a little lag. They're monitoring, very, you know, a number of things. And we'll see how like that stuff develops. So essentially, he didn't take the opportunity to be like, no, stocks need to be like 5% low. They'll never say that. But he said but something very like that in a previous one. Yeah. Basically, yeah. a reporter in, in two FOMC meeting, meetings ago, I believe, uh, I told him that stocks and bonds were rallying during the meeting. And he proceeded to literally talk through like five talking points about why stocks and bonds shouldn't be, shouldn't be rallying. Yeah. Um, and so it's a very different uh, tone. You could tell that there was definitely um, – a change, not a pivot, or, or but it, a sort of a movement along towards Goldilocks, soft landing, and right. less hawkish rhetoric. And you could see it not only um, in like the text and like what he's actually saying, but his demeanor, like how he was thinking about inflation. Like you, the tone was just so different. Right? It's really tough to appreciate these things unless you like are a consistent follower. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Markets don't lie. They're ripping like crazy. Nasdaq's up 3% here. We had some company earnings that were reported um, after the bell today, and, and stocks will only continue to, to right. rally thereafter. I mean, Bitcoin, as we speak, is, is tra- testing 23,800. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, this move probably has some some more room to run. You know, I'm thinking probably something along the lines of like 4,300 in S&P. That's 150 plus points away. Probably at least 25K on Bitcoin. I don't even know where the offer side is on Bitcoin. Who on earth would be selling risk assets right now right. when the majority of the world's money managers are underweight risk assets and they're being told to buy them by the most important central bank? Like, wh- why is there an offer on that? So, unless you're taking profit. Um, so I'm about as bullish as I've been, um, you know, on a however scale you you want to at do least it. in the last several months. Yeah. Yes, it, I mean basically the number one rule in markets is don't fight the Fed, and the Fed and is telling you Fed, what to do here. Fed is like they they didn't tell you to sell stocks, and that's, which means you have to buy them because <laughs> if you're not if if you're not long it, you're short it. Uh, in my, my head, at least. Yeah, and the way I would describe it is. Basically, you have every single person that's investing assets in the world looking at their portfolios today and looking at, holy shit, am I, what, am I long the stuff that's been moving up the most? And the answer is I'm not long enough of that stuff. Yeah. If you're a bond manager and you have, you have liabilities going out 10 plus years and you're sniffing that the Fed might be slowing down or cutting and you're like, Oh my God, this might be my last opportunity to buy bonds on a four handle. Oh my God, this might be my last opportunity to buy bonds on a three handle. If you miss that opportunity now, it will cost you for decades to come. If you're a reserve manager, you're buying long dated, long dated stuff. stuff. Yeah. Like the ten year bonds can go from three forty to like two fifty so quickly, so quickly. Yeah. And if you miss that, and you're a huge bond manager, you're like that's your whole job. Yeah, you had and one job. <laughs> one job, and that's to you know buy bonds when they were reasonably cheap. Because what have we known about bonds is they were in a forty-year bull market; they only go down. <laughs> you're going to be hunting for yield in about a, a year and a half. Yeah, and if you don't get it now, it's like 
And then same thing. It's like there's so many trades. Like everyone on the planet got long dollars last year and are still overweight dollars. And they're trying to get into into trades like long euro or, or short dollar yen. And you're just not getting the opportunities. Like, I mean, euro is, I think, testing like 110 right now. You got Bank of England that's about to be hawkish tomorrow. Like it could be a 112 by the end of the week and you're a reserve manager that put all your money in dollars and you haven't twitched yet. And it, it, the, the magnitude and the pace of these moves are going to catch people off sides. I think, for me, keep it simple, buy risk assets, buy convexity in risk assets, and, uh, yeah, it's time. Wow, it's come a long way. Uh, I mean, we were talking, I remember us talking in June. You said you you hadn't been this bearish in a long time. Mm. Then you got bullish in July. Then we've sort of been, you know, trucking along here through the fall, which, you know, in crypto had idiosyncratic events that that impacted it. Bitcoin and ETH ran all of January, sort of like almost a reversion to where they should have been. Yeah. Um, and you think there's still room to run? Absolutely. It's just a, a simple uh, function of like what is what does risk reward look like in these assets? You look at Bitcoin, um, if it's floored at 20K, you are, you know, like 15% from 20K. This is the downside. Like, this is the downside. What are you, yeah. you going to go short it, try to make 15% on an asset that has no upside? And it was limit? already down a lot. It was already like, down a lot. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, and then at 23K, you're like, this is an asset that's traded at 68K before. Right. And it's risk on. Like, whoa. Right. And then you're like, okay, what's been doing well this year? Well, Bitcoin's up 40%, is, has one of the best risk adjusted returns out there. It trades over $30 billion a day, deeply liquid spot and derivatives Global. market. Like, shit. <laughs> Should See, be there, on the radar. There are people probably freaking out right now. And I'm, <laughs> I'm using the PG words yeah. to it. Especially anybody that's in crypto world that's benchmarked to an, an index that is crypto, full crypto, no cash in it. Yeah. I bet you most people are underperforming because yeah. you couldn't have been full length or you're not going to be all levered at the well, start of the year. All Bitcoin and ETH and, and you know some all, even the alts, stuff. but still like yeah. if you're like measuring your returns versus the stuff, like you're underweight. Yeah, you're forced to chase here. You're a dip buyer. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I think stuff's on the wrong handles. I, I, I'm, 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 you know. I, I gotta calm down. Normally, like, <laughs> it's a normally, big day. Is your Super Bowl? It is, it is. It is a big day, and like you, you know, you have to remember rules and try not to get emotional. Like buying at the highs is normally a very stupid thing in markets, yeah. especially in mean reverting ones. Um, but I have to say, this does feel a bit different. Um, you are taking out significant resistance levels and support levels in traditional markets. Um, the breaks are there. The catalyst is there. That's all you need. Yeah. Like though all of you know markets really comes down to you know a chart and a story, and both of those things looking good right now. Uh, Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Digital Trading, as always, my friend. Thank you so much. No problem. Let's go now to our guest, Casey Rotemore, uh, open source developer, creator of ordinals on Bitcoin inscriptions. These new, I'm going to call them NFTs, but he's going to correct me. I'm sure. Casey, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, it's I'm really happy to be here. I'm a huge fan of the pod. Uh, very happy to hear that you know maybe the Alex Thorne raps are going to be showing up uh, on chain. Who can yeah, we say, can't. You know, we can't confirm it yet, uh, but it is possible if you go to ordinals.com where you can inspect these uh, Bitcoin NFTs. These digital artifacts. These digital Alex, artifacts. Not just NFTs. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, these digital artifacts. Uh, you yeah. Stay. I don't think anyone has uploaded a, an MP3 yet there, but um, you know that could happen. 
<laughs> oh, is I I wonder. I think there maybe are some. There's so many now. Yeah, I mean, I not so many. There's like 500 or something. But if you keep hitting previous <laughs> on the inscriptions page, I got to go in and look. I think. Yeah, because I think that yeah, there was a couple maybe like songs about Bitcoin. I think there's a sea shanty about Bitcoin. Oh, sick! In yeah, 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 yeah. Those sea the, shanties the are hilarious. The community is so young, but the memes are already very strong. The memeing potential is enormous. It really is, and people are putting uh, they put, they put some iconic Udi Wertheimer tweets up there. There's some Bitcoin punks. It looks like uh, that are getting made. Um, I saw some other collection. I don't know the name of, but clearly it's a collection that's being put up. There's plenty of like true one of ones. Um, there's text. The rare Pepe's are back. Um, the rare Pepe's are back. Yeah, it's really hard to, for me to tell what's um, original and what is like a copy or, or a derivative. Uh, yeah. There is definitely a lot of copies of things, people just uploading old stuff. So, you know, if you see something, it doesn't necessarily mean that the person who made it uploaded it. Uh, yeah, but it's it's wild. Things. Yeah. This has been exploding. Like I thought we were going to do this mainnet release. I think it was like January 20th, maybe. And then, like, some people would, like, you know, use it and, like, a dog would bark off in the distance. And then we would, like, go back to, <laughs> like, just grinding in the open source salt mines, you know, for, like, more features. Yeah. Uh, but it, it basically has been completely insane. And I think part of that is, like, this sort of, like, quote, unquote, controversy right. over, like, how it's been being used. And, I mean, one thing is, like, when I first saw some people criticizing the project, I was, like... Oh, like I feel bad. Like people don't like me on the internet. And then I realized that they were like blasting out the project to their like hundreds of thousands of followers. And now, like, you know, I, I just embrace the haters. I want to deal with the criticism. There's a lot of, you know, people have reasonable concerns. Um, but yeah, just a hint like, if you don't like it, don't mention to your hundreds of thousands of followers that you shouldn't put monkey JPEGs in the blockchain <laughs> because they might do just that. Yeah, it's it's um, it's the Streisand effect, I guess. And I, I completely agree. I think it's um, and we're going to we'll take it back. You know what? Let, let's step back for our audience. Let's explain what we're really talking about here. So um, I, I'll set it up, but then you, you take it from there, Casey. Um, so there is now a way that was not previously possible. And we'll talk about why to store arbitrary data on Bitcoin in, in larger amounts than had previously been possible, large enough amounts on-chain for things like images and documents, right? And mm -hmm. um, Casey, uh, who built Ordinals, which is this way to do that, these inscriptions, they're called, um, has uh, it's gotten a lot of uh, it's gotten a lot of discussion in the community over the last week and a half or so because it's a new use for Bitcoin, but it also uh, perhaps was an un unintended use and byproduct of the taproot upgrade and that's causing some controversy but before we get into the controversy and the sort of big ideas tell us again what it works what it is and how it works casey sure yeah so there's basically two layers to ordinals and inscriptions so the lower layer is ordinals or the ordinal protocol or ordinal theory which i call it when i'm like kind of being tongue-in-cheek <laughs> and ordinal ordinal theory is just a convention for uh, numbering individual Satoshis in the order in which they are mined, and then tracking them across transactions. Um, this is a purely opt-in convention. It's sort of a different way of viewing the data that's already on the chain. Um, and so this gives individual sats an identity and lets somebody say like, oh, I hold this sat and send it to other people, secure it with a private key, send it in a transaction. And... Um, that is sort of the lower level that inscriptions are based on. Um, and the 
then inscriptions are a way of assigning content to an individual SAT. So you include the inscription content, which is basically any file that you can view in a web browser. Um, you include it in, in the witness, which is this part of a Bitcoin transaction. You mine that block and that content gets assigned to the first SAT in the first output of that transaction. And because the SATs are uh, transferable using the ordinal theory protocol, um, which is just based on normal Bitcoin transactions. It's, um, it's not a side chain. It's not a token. Um, you just need to make these kind of like, you kind of control the order and value of the inputs and outputs to get the sats to line up where you want them to go. Yep. Um, that turns these sats into something that I, 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 I kind of think the term NFT is like very overloaded and, and very weird. And there are things that people call NFTs that are, that are not immutable and that are not decentralized and, and whatever. So I use the term digital artifacts for inscriptions, and that is just an NFT that is immutable, an NFT that is uncensorable, an NFT that doesn't have like security vulnerabilities or like a, a backdoor key. Um, yeah, so then by making these inscriptions, by inscribing these stats, you can create these digital artifacts, which you can see on uh, ordinals.com. Yeah, very cool. Um, and so when you talk about the ordinal uh, like theory and the protocol, this this ordering of the sats themselves, right? That's it's it, mm-hmm. it's native Bitcoin functionality, but I imagine that it's the wallet itself that has to be really like used to. I mean, it's not even UTXO selection at this point, right? It's something even more granular. Yeah, I call it like sat selection or sat control. Um, yeah. And to be clear, this ordinal protocol is not part of the Bitcoin uh, base layer. Um, it's really just an accident of the way that Bitcoin works that enables you to view it from this lens. And yeah. pretty interestingly, uh, I started thinking about this in early 2022. Um, and the reason that I made this thing is I've made digital art in the past, uh, like generative algorithmic art. And NFTs never really appealed to me. But when I started seeing these very cool, creative algorithmic art NFTs, um, I was like, oh, like, okay, this is the kind of stuff that I make. I, I should be able to, you know, make these. Um, but I couldn't kind of feel good about um, making Ethereum NFTs for a variety of reasons, variety of like technical reasons. Um, and so I wanted to create something that was on Bitcoin that had sort of these better properties. And uh, so that was when I started thinking about it in, in early 2022, kind of came up with this ordinals idea because I needed a way to assign like Bitcoin doesn't have accounts. It just has UTXOs and UTXOs are created and destroyed. So you need some place for the NFTs to like live on. So I kind of came up with ordinals to have a place for the NFTs to live on on chain. And then when I finished the idea of ordinals, I um, thought like, oh, these are like serial numbers for sats. And then I typed in serial numbers for sats into Google and I found a post on Bitcoin Talk from 2012 where somebody described the scheme exactly that I had come up with. So it's it's not part of the base layer, but in, in some way, you know, I didn't create the ordinals protocol. I kind of discovered it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's something that could be done. Um, let's talk about the, the witness data because I think this is at, in some ways perhaps at the core of the controversy. Um, I You might have to mm-hmm. correct me on this, but there's, there's two main things here, both a taproot and a segwit story. And um, with Taproot, mm-hmm. um, I guess there's a way to encode additional arbitrary data in in this in the witness in the in the signature part of the transaction. So, well, the thing is, is that arbitrary data storage has always been possible on Bitcoin. Um, first, in 
op returns. And actually, right. so the inscription content, it goes in, in the witness, which is a new part of a transaction that was introduced in SegWit. But it would have been possible to do the same thing before SegWit, um, even, even before SegWit, just more inconveniently and with yeah. more um, like limits. Um, SegWit introduced the witness and gave it a discount relative to other parts of the transaction, right. which was done for a few reasons. Um, and then, but it still had a lot of um, limitations on the witness. Um, in particular, I believe these were all essentially policy limitations where, you know, you, they couldn't be above a certain size, et cetera. Um, and then Taproot removed those limitations. Now, I, I think the, the really important thing to keep in mind about like sort of the controversy is that these limitations on SegWit witnesses and on pay to script hash um, scripts beforehand um, were not put in place to limit the amount of data that could go into a transaction. Um, they were there for other technical reasons. So for example, um, I know for sure that the early limit on pay to script hash scripts, which would have been another way to store data, that was there due to this exponential increase in the cost of processing a transaction when you had a very large transaction with very many inputs. Um, and so that limit was there among other reasons for that. And there were a whole bunch of other reasons to have those limits. But, tech, you know, those eventually changes were made to Bitcoin that made it safe to remove those limits. Um, and those limits caused issues, particularly for transaction construction. Imagine you're trying to construct a Bitcoin transaction and you have all these goals. You want to send somebody some sats. You want to include something in the script. You want to do some walking stuff. Um, and everything that could possibly make that transaction invalid is sort of a pitfall that you have to avoid. So... These limits were put in place for technical reasons that don't involve um, storing arbitrary data on chain. And they were lifted because those technical reasons were no longer um, Got it. A, a worry. And, and so, you know, I don't think it's fair to say that the, you know, this is coming as a surprise to some people who didn't really understand why those limitations were there in the first place and don't really understand why they were lifted. But um if you ask a lot of the Bitcoin developers involved with, with those decisions and how they were thinking about it, they go, oh, yeah, like people stuffing arbitrary stuff on Bitcoin is kind of a fact of life. We just want to make sure that it doesn't mess up the system in other ways. And we lifted those limitations because the original reasons that they existed simply no longer applied. And those reasons weren't about preventing arbitrary data storage. I see. Yeah, there's some discussion that I guess the op return field where um, you can st also store arbitrary data for a transaction, it used to allow a significantly larger amount of data, right? Like, uh, was it 10,000 mm -hmm. bytes at one point? I mean, this is maybe a right. decade ago. Um, and then it was reduced to 80 bytes, which is, I think, where it currently is. Um, yep. Which yep. is enough to, say, store a hash that references some That's kind right. of off-chain data. That's how Omni uh, layer worked, where Tether was first issued. Um, counterparty and I think and um, certainly that that piece of junk Veriblock uh, that was spamming transactions using OpReturn for a long time. Um, but putting data in the witness, though, there is, like you said, no longer a limit. And that's one of the things that enables sort of I'm going to call it more robust data to be stored, bigger data like images. More more data, cheaper, less gotchas, more more efficient. Yeah. I mean, so one thing about the, the OpReturn and the controversy there. Which is a little, which is sort of unique to op return, is that um, by default, um, before people were using op return, or let me just say, op return uses the script pub key 
is in the script pub key of a transaction, and that is the locking script. And because um, the, that output with that locking script, script, script has to go into the UTXO set, it means that very large locking scripts are a burden on uh, full nodes because they, they enter the UTXO set and the UTXO set needs to be small and fast. Um, and so um, in order to... So the initial problem is people were encoding data in outputs and that data was going into the UTXO set and op return was sort of like a harm minimization way where when a full node seeds an op return, it knows that nobody will ever be able to spend that because it's, it marks that as invalid. It immediately says, can't spend it. And so as a result, um, full nodes have special code in them that will remove op return outputs from the UTXO set, special code that recognizes that template. And they also made it standard up to a certain number of bytes. Bitcoin has these like standardist rules that mostly determine what the network will relay. Um, and they made op return with up to 80 bytes a standard transaction type and added the special code to prune it from the UTXO set. Um, the witness, on the other hand, is input data. It uh, determines, it authorizes a transaction for being spent. Um, and so as a result, it never, it has no possibility of entering the UTXO set. Um, so there's no code that's needed to ensure that, that these inscriptions uh, don't enter the UTXO set. And also, um, a lot of people are talking about the fact that the UTX, that the witness gets this discount, the 75% yeah. off. Um, and that's because for a lot of reasons, the witness is very low impact data um, on the network. It does take up block space, but full nodes basically download it and verify it, and then they never have to look at it again. Um, and when it's buried below a certain height, Bitcoin Core has this setting called assume valid, where below that block height, it won't even look at them. It'll just like be like, okay, yeah, like whatever. I'm sure they're fine. They're buried by so much work that it's right. no problem. Um, and so that means that, you know, inscriptions will be downloaded by full nodes, but after a certain point, they won't even be, and, and right now they're being skipped. They're like processed, but skipped. They won't even be, full nodes won't even look at them. Um, so that, they're sufficiently that's one of the criticisms, right? Was that, that I've heard, uh, and seen on, on Bitcoin Twitter was that, um, this is increases the burden on full nodes. It, it, and you're saying it because it's not in the UTXO, UTXO set, it's, it's, um, it doesn't need to be pruned. It literally isn't in the UTXO set. And also, um, the, the nodes still do have to download the block data, but mm -hmm. blocks could be full for any number of reasons. This doesn't increase the total possible block size. Yeah. Yeah. One very important point is that Bitcoin's security model requires that blocks be full. Um, so for, for, you know, as the um, subsidy, the new coins created in every block gets cut in half every four years, we become increasingly reliant on fee revenue to pay for chain security. Um, so, and this is something that if it were not true that blocks needed to be full, I would be much less cavalier about um, inscriptions. Right. Um, you know, you could, if, if blocks, if there was some future where Bitcoin could be secure and blocks could be um, often empty, then I would say, okay, like maybe there is some possibility that inscriptions will increase the expected future size of the chain. But because the chain, because blocks must be full, um, it's true that, you know, that you know, more transactions on Bitcoin leads to bigger blocks. But sort of, you know, as you zoom out, 
blocks need to be full anyways. So this doesn't increase the long-term, you know, size of the chain. Yeah. You, you could be um, positive on this as a, if you're a, on the security budget question, the long-term Bitcoin question, miners are positive on it already. Of course they, um, they want fees. Um, yep. But that, I think one of the criticisms is like, okay, so, you know, nodes still have to download it in the, in the beginning and, and there's some bandwidth costs, but to your point, I mean, we assume blocks have to be full anyway it's no it's no premium to that um mm -hmm. but should it be getting the segwit discount in fact should the segwit discount even exist anymore mm. the witness discount i why what let me start why was that added because you know i was looking into this and the best i can tell is that it was just to incentivize people to use segwit basically and, and the theoretically make it cheaper for like lightning uh opens and closes which which use segwit yeah actually i don't think that that's the case um the the discount was added for a few reasons and and i haven't heard like incentivize people to use segwit as one of them um it is one is there was a desire for a block size increase so the segwit upgrade was a block size increase right and if segwit data was not given this discount um i mean we could have kept the um block size at one megabyte uh total uh, by not giving these SegWit bytes a discount. And then, you know, blocks, blocks, old nodes would see blocks partially full and, and new nodes would see that, that difference between what the old nodes right. saw and the new nodes saw made up by the, the, the witnesses. Um, but so there was a desire for a block size increase. And that's one of the reasons why the witness was given a discount because it was a way, just a technical hack to do a block size increase as a soft fork. Yep. Another reason was to encourage people to clean up their UTXOs. So witness data, the, if you have a transaction and the more inputs it has, the larger the witness data will be because for each input, you need a witness. Um, so transactions that are relatively witness heavy are transactions that remove more items from the UTXO set, which decreases the long-term burden on uh, full nodes. Um, so there was to incentivize cleaning up the UTXO set. Um, and, and certainly, you know, they did not intend to incentivize monkey JPEGs on the blockchain. <laughs> um, but a third, a third reason, uh, is that is this low impact, um, aspect of the witness that it's, um, verified once and then it's thrown away. Um, it's not verified at all below assume valid pruned nodes already delete it. Um, and also in the, in the, in the distant future, we might want to do something called witness pruning. And I don't really understand the technical arguments for and against this, but because witness data is sort of separate from the rest of the transaction, and in particular, because it's not covered by the transaction hash, um, we could say, okay, you know, witness data from like 10 years ago, we're just not even, you can boot a full node and it will have a method, have a, have a mode where it won't even look at the, um, the old witnesses uh, yep. because they're no longer, no longer needed. And in that case, it wouldn't download them at all. I so see. it's actually three reasons why the witness yep. discount was given. Um, technical hack to increase the block size, which was seen as desirable. Um, encourage people to clean up old UTXOs and uh, it's low impact. Um, so yeah, yeah. So like inscriptions definitely don't fit with the spirit of the second one because they don't clean up old UTXOs. You can um, stick a lot of rare Pepe's in, a, uh, in an inscription and not clean up any UTXOs. But they do kind of fit with the second and first, you know, that it's a general block size increase and that it's low impact on the network and on full nodes. Fascinating. Um, OK, a couple of questions. Let's talk. We'll, we'll, we'll table some of the I think the controversy 
uh, for now. I may ask you one or two questions more at the end of the interview uh, about that. But let's talk about inscriptions and what your plans are now for ordinals.com. I mean, uh, listeners can go to ordinals.com, O-R-D-I-N-A-L-S.com, and see what people are inscribing. Um, You can get all the technical docs and the link to the wallet on GitHub that you can use with your full node to do your own inscribing. Um, Do you have any plans or have you talked to like the you know, the full node, like, um, you know, self-hosted provider, the umbrellas and the my nodes and those guys to make this. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. And and just to be clear, uh, and thank you for shilling ordinals.com, yes. ordinals.com. But that's also, um, that's just the, the underlying uh, binary, the, the binary that like does everything is a wallet and a block explorer called Ord. And when you go to ordinals.com, you're just talking to my copy of Ord running on a computer somewhere i think possibly in helsinki i don't know somewhere in europe because <laughs> it's cheaper over there yeah and um so you can run that locally and you can see exactly what is on ordinals.com um like no difference so i just want to emphasize that it's you know it's open source very software cool. it's it's very decentralized you just need a full node and you need this binary and it is command line only but we're trying as hard as possible to make it um easy to run and so, yeah, that, that is actually one thing, you know, for the future, like we want people to run full nodes and in some future, maybe we want like something like a light client and you can, you could build a light client given the protocol, but I'm very happy that people are running full nodes. So a big priority right now is, is basically just like tech support. People are like, how Bitcoin? And we're yep. like, okay, like Bitcoin D, like, let's go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, ordinals already have, inscriptions already have a lot of great properties. So when you go to ordinals.com, you um, you can know that everything you see is immutable and everything you see is entirely on-chain. Um, so you don't need to um, audit them individually. You know, they're not smart contracts that could have vulnerabilities. You don't need to look where the data is stored. You know it's on the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and, and for future features, we have a lot of stuff that we want to add. Um, one sort of um, hole in the feature set is there's really no way of doing collections or a good kind of provenance where you can see like who made a collection and like what somebody's body of work are. Um, And so we have a design for adding that where you'll be able to use an inscription as the parent for other inscriptions by making a transaction that includes it. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then this gives you this tree of inscriptions. So you could make an inscription representing you and then like every you know week you could put out the galaxy the galaxy wrap <laughs> the galaxy brains wrap as an inscription and people would be able to see that um you had made it and they would yeah. be able to know that because you know that the alex inscription had had been used and authorized that only you could have made that child Very inscription cool. yep. yeah and I'll- then that that's like infinite recursion and like nesting and you can do just these trees of inscriptions uh so yeah many crazy features so you can go and see on ordinals.com the uh, someone's been minting a lot of these rare pepes and I think those are just the old rare pepe images right they're just putting those up but then they yep. put up an inscription saying it was all text that was a link to every transaction ID and said like rare pepe number 1 rare pepe so they're kind of trying to do provenance without your nested hierarchy life, life finds a way you know <laughs> the users will hack it together yeah and 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 yeah and a lot of this is very much like user-driven development. Um, I have random ideas about what I think is important, but ultimately it's what users want and it's what they're running into. Um, one fun thing is that the, the, the ordinals.com, like the protocol, you can put any kind of content you want 
because they're identified by a, a content type, also known as a MIME type, which is just yep. a string of text, like image slash PNG, image or text slash plane. Um, but there's nothing stopping users from putting whatever kind of content they want. And as users have been uploading new kinds of content, I've been figuring out how to support that in the front end. Um, and so I call these like illicit inscriptions. And yeah. then, you know, so somebody inscribed a PDF of the Bitcoin white paper. And so I had to figure out like, okay, well, you know, for technical reasons, we can't sandbox this effectively. So we have to use a JavaScript library to render it. And I wrote that and we pushed the code out. Um, and to be clear, this isn't just me. There's also a, a small cadre of uh, nice. dedicated uh, open source uh, contributing DGENs. Uh, and, uh, we, we got that code up and now you can go that P that the PDF that the person inscribed, you now see the, um, preview of the first page when you go to the inscription Very page cool. and then you can jump in and get the content. Yeah. So the data is there. I could download the data. I could use my own way to render it or whatever. The, the literal like bytes are there for the data and the mime type. Um, but you're, yeah, you're saying like on the, on the front end itself, like there wasn't a PDF viewer. Right. Or, you know, if we put if someone puts an MP3 up, like you need like an MP3 player to actually like play yep. it on the site or. Yeah, you need to like like, you know, um, you need to get you like notice the content type and be like, OK, this is an image. So it needs to go in an image tag or this is a um, uh, MP3 and this needs to go in, a, in an audio tag. Or, for example, this is um, HTML or SVG, which gets rendered inside of an iframe. Right. Um, and for that, we have a lot of weird considerations, like it has to be sandboxed and and all that. But yeah, so exa you're exactly right about how it works. Cool. So okay, a couple other questions. Is it possible to build a decentralized exchange or marketplace for inscriptions? And let's start even before decentralized. Let's just say an exchange before ideally decentralized. But like, could we have oh, an open let's just C? go right into decentralized. All right, let's do it. Let's just go right into decentralized. So um, actually, it's the technology is not done yet. To be clear, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about is not done, just requires some of the old elbow grease. Um, <laughs> but because um, there's this, because these inscriptions ride on sats, and you can do sort of normal Bitcoin transactions that transfer one sat to another, um, you can do atomic swaps from BTC to an inscription. Um, and the way that this will eventually work is, you know, you make an inscription that you want to sell, and then you create what's called an offer. Um, and an offer is a partially signed Bitcoin transaction that is not valid because it has your inscription on it that goes into one of the inputs and you sign for that. And also on one of the outputs, uh, you pay yourself, say, one Bitcoin. And the only way that that transaction can be made valid is by somebody putting their one Bitcoin into one of the other inputs, uh, signing for it, and then broadcasting it to the rest of the network. And so this gives us a really nice primitive that we can use to build um, basically a decentralized, I don't even know if I should call it a market or an exchange, because it's really just you create these partially signed transactions, and then you put them wherever. You post them on Twitter, you post them on Noster, you staple them to a telephone pole, you paste them in Discord, um, et cetera. They can be relayed in any sort of way. Um, in, in fact, if we really wanted to, Ord could have sort of like a P2P network where they would trade these in, these these uh, these offer yep. files. And then the person who is sort of authorized to sell the inscription, who owns the inscription, just completes it and then broadcasts it to the Bitcoin network. Um, and this is Love like that. one really nice thing about um, ordinals and, and inscriptions is they really fit in nicely with the rest of Bitcoin. 
Um, so all this existing infrastructure, we can, we can leverage all this stuff about partially signed transactions. We can leverage. It's really like, it's kind of like caveman technology. Like it's just the <laughs> simplest thing that can work. So yeah, decentralized, decentralized trades or like trustless offers. Um, yep. yeah, should be coming, uh, soon slash eventually. So soon TM. I love that. Um, I love the use of the PSBT here. I had been just thinking in my head, like you could maybe with like a DLC, you could get it done some kind of some kind of multi-sig escrow with the buyer and and an oracle mm-hmm. as one and two, and then the seller or somebody comes in as three. Um, there's definitely ways. Um, I would love to see that. I'd love to see uh, the the wallets integrate this. Uh, really, I guess it's primarily SAT selection that they had have to integrate, right? Um, to to really make yep. this SAT, SAT selection, for... SAT control. Yep. And yep. then looking at these old transactions, and and so the way they. Yeah, there are many options for wallets to do it. It's actually not such a heavy lift for existing infrastructure because it kind of they it's using the normal transactions that they're already processing, the normal signatures. Um, for example, we use Bitcoin Core. The Ord wallet is really just a wrapper around Bitcoin Core, and we use Bitcoin Core for all the transaction signing, some transaction construction, transaction broadcast, propagation, etc. Yeah. So people with existing um, Bitcoin infrastructure should should take a look and see if this is something that uh, they want to they want to support. Yeah, everyone should definitely give it a shot, first of all, because it's it's a very, very novel use case on Bitcoin. Um, I, I agree. I am uh, surprised and impressed by the elegant um, integration with Bitcoin, right? How simple this is. And and um, you know, but the people are mad. Luke Dash Jr. said that you were lying and tricking the code to make this work, um, which I find mm-hmm. to be quite mm-hmm. a humorous statement because the code is the code and you're just using it. So, um, you know, and we've seen some other people, frankly, be very upset. They don't want their chain bloated with this arbitrary stuff, they say. Yep. Um, yep. You, you know, what's your general pushback on that? I guess my general pushback on, on those kind of very general criticisms, um, I'm very happy to, I probably have better answers to more specific criticisms, but those general criticisms that are of the form that like Bitcoin is not for this um, don't really do much for me. I think Bitcoin is a system and we should use the system in the way that benefits us and people should find ways to use it that are, are good and which don't hurt the system. Um, and that it's not something that's for something or for other people, for, for some things and not for other things. It's essentially transcended the, 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 um, the intentions of its original creator. And, and I think a lot of the Bitcoin devs really see themselves as caretakers and not really um, sort of people who are going to say what the protocol is used for. So sort of general um, um, criticisms of the form, like Bitcoin is not for monkey pictures, are like, well, I don't know, some people like the monkey pictures, you know, they want to trade the rocks, you know, they want to trade the Bitcoin rocks, they pay their (laughs) fees, which kind of indicates that they find these transactions valuable. Um, The transactions themselves are valid on chain, like they're correctly constructed, and they pay their way. Um, Exactly. Yeah, I have to say, it's I, I found the debate to be quite humorous overall, especially over something that is a a totally valid use case uh, or use of the network, right? You didn't break anything. You didn't change, just use the code that was there. Um, but also for something so fun and, and, and something that can be so silly. By the way, we talk about, it's true for NFTs in general also, but 
um, for inscriptions, like, yes, people are mostly, it looks like, you know, putting JPEGs up there, but there could be mm -hmm. a lot of other uses for this. Um, you could imagine. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, we can do really good support for essentially multi-file inscriptions where you make inscriptions and they're just files that the web server can, can, can return to you. And then you make other inscriptions with, which reference the content of those inscriptions. Uh, this is not functionality that exists. Again, this is in the soon TM uh, category. <laughs> but uh, the whole model was really designed to be very compatible with the web. And I think that you're just going to have this on-chain like library of images and code and HTML and CSS and all these other like web resources. And you'll be able to do like collages and remixing. And like if you're if you're doing an inscription and you have like a JavaScript library that you need, if that's in an inscription, then other people can use it in the future in their inscriptions. Um, so that's actually what I'm most excited about uh, for myself as like a somebody who uh, loves the web, loves web content, loves the browser, um, and has made like a bunch of silly, weird like web art. I'm I'm really excited to give a uh, uh, like a platform where people can explore this very weird new medium. I really like it. I think it's very exciting. There's a lot of creativity that's clearly going to come from this. Um, we've got to wrap it up here. Uh, Casey Rotomore, a creator of ordinals and inscriptions on Bitcoin. Thank you so much for coming, Casey. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I encourage people to check out the project. Uh, couldn't do it without other people's help. So, you know, find some code, comment, you know, and uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Casey. That's all for this episode of Galaxy Brains. Thank you so much to our guest, Bimnet at BB, as always, to talk about markets. And thank you to our special guest, Casey Rotomore, Bitcoin developer, host of SF Bit Devs, and creator of Ordinals on Bitcoin. Um, if you want to learn more about Ordinals, you can follow him on Twitter and listen to his podcast, The Hell Money Pod. Um, and also, we'll be covering Ordinals uh, at Galaxy Research, and you can see all of our content at galaxy.com slash research. Uh, that's all we have this week. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week.